today. What a great time just to reaffirm those statements to the Lord. There's a great, great verse in Hebrews first chapter. Listen to it. Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat at the right hand of the majesty of God. Let's worship the majesty. Jesus, Savior, Lord, Master, Redeemer, let's worship him today. Here I am, humbled by your
to miss out on a song that's got such power. It's your testimony. It's your worship this morning. I am forgiven because you were
uh, Brother David and uh, welcoming you today. We're so glad you're here. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And it is a glad time when God's people gather to sing praise to the Lord, to thank him for his blessings, and just to worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in spirit and in truth. What a pleasure and what a joy. And we're so glad you're here. If you're visiting, I hope I'll have an opportunity to speak to you after the service. And even if uh, you're not visited, if you're a member and you need to speak to me, I'll be at the back. You come by and I'll be glad to pray with you about anything that's on your heart. Well, uh, the Lord said something to me on the way up here. You say he did. Yeah, he did. Um, we were all waiting on the storm. And we started looking for it at 3 o'clock. <laughs> and we waited and we waited. Every 15 minutes, my wife would say, when's the storm coming? I said, I don't know. But you know, we waited. But guess what? About 8 o'clock, it came through my way. And the thunder was so loud, I thought Bo was going to have a heart attack. <laughs> but you know, there's a biblical analogy here. The Bible says that Jesus is coming back. You say, Brother Fred, we've been waiting a long time. That doesn't matter. He's coming. I want you to read, I want to read this verse to you. So Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on, on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way. And listen to this. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There are many people that are speaking against Jesus. But I'm telling you, the storm, we, you know, you said it's, 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 it's coming. It's coming. It's going to be a blessed hope for us who are saved. For us who are ready, man, we're going to fly like a plane straight up in the air to meet the Lord. You said, I'm afraid of flying. You won't be. You won't be. And he's coming. So you say, but I've been waiting. Well, it'll come at 8 o'clock. So just remember our blessed hope that we have in the return of the Lord. So let's join our hearts together as we pray. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the blessed hope, Father, that every one of us as children of God, it's the anchor the anchor upon which we are held, the Lord, in troubled times. Father, we want to pray today. We do pray for our nation. 
And Lord, in this time of uh, aggression and rockets and tomahawk missiles hitting Syria, these are troubled times. We're wondering how Russia will respond, but you know. But Father, I just want to pray that somehow you'd get the attention of the American people and let them know that unless God builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord keeps the nation, <laughs> they labor in vain. God, would you restore the fear of God to this country? Lord, that we might be praying and acknowledging that all the blessings we have come from your hand. Oh God, I pray you would revive the body of Christ all across the world. Revive your people, Lord. And I pray that they will be salt and they will be light and they will be a burnt like a burning flame that speaks of the, of the Lord Jesus. Darkness hates the light, but raise up your children as children of light. Father, we want to pray for everyone who has come today. Lord, we're not here because we have it all together. We're not here because we have all the answers. We're not here because we're better than anybody else. We're here because we're forgiven, washed in the blood of Jesus. We're here because we're robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he is our righteousness. All that we are or will ever be is by the presence of Jesus Christ in us, and we thank you for that. Lord, heal the sick today. Heal the brokenhearted. Deliver the captives. Give sight to the blind. Set at liberty the oppressed. Spirit of the living God, Holy Spirit, move on every heart. May they experience the awesome presence of the Holy Spirit. Today we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. We give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. scarlet thread woven in my life the only thing I find that's holding me your crimson flood poured out on my life the only thing I find that covers me new mercies every day that I can say I am weak but you are able I have failed but you are faithful Jesus you are holding on to me far beyond regret and sorrow every sin is washed and I know Jesus you are holding on to me
pierced hands leading in my life the only thing i find that's holding me your precious blood poured out on my life the only thing i find that covers me mention a couple of things to you. Uh, you notice that we have expanded our orchestra. Our orchestra 
They call it orchestra pit. I don't like that word. Well, it's the orchestra. We've expanded that. And boy, they did a tremendous job. You really didn't even know unless you sit over there and it's hard to see a couple of places. But they did a wonderful job. Jimmy uh, Tucker headed it up. A lot of our men work. And now we can double our orchestra, praise God. And I, we need to get enlarge the choir because we want to have an awesome choir and orchestra. Amen? Till Jesus comes back. We, I love a choir and orchestra. And so uh, th we're thankful for those who did that. Uh, I'll be preaching tonight, tomorrow night, and Tuesday night at First Baptist Church of Sims. Uh, that's in Sims, Alabama, in case you didn't know. And uh, <laughs> the service starts at 6 o'clock tonight. And then I think it's 6 o'clock every night. I don't know. I'll find out. But I, if, I want you to pray for me. I'm, I'm really burdened for that revival that... I'm just doing the three days that God will do a great work. So would you pray? And if you can, you come and join us. It's a wonderful group of people, and they are a great, great blessing to us. You know, uh, David Bullock is uh, uh, the associate pastor at Luke 418 Fellowship. He now uh, coordinates our staff and, uh, and plans our staff meetings. And You say, Brother Fred, what do you do? I show up. And enjoy it. He's been doing that since the, the first of the year. And our staff, they love each other. We have a staff that loves each other. And they support and encourage each other. And David's doing a wonderful job of leading our staff. Now, you, you know one day he will be the senior pastor of this church. You say, well, when, Brother Fred? I don't know when I lose my mind and don't know the direction to the church. <laughs> but uh, one day he will be. You say, we haven't voted on it. Yeah, we have. Me and the Lord voted on it. <laughs> and it was unanimous. <laughs> I know you'll have a chance to express your love. We, we'll have a special service one day this year and just, uh, uh, d d just make it official that whenever I, I'll always be Pastor Emeritus and, uh, and I'll always be a member of this church and attending. But, uh, and, and I'm going to preach as long as I can. And David will preach more as time goes along. Hey, he's doing a great job on Wednesday night, isn't he? Praise the Lord. Doing a great job on Wednesday night. You say, Brother Fred, he has a lot of fire. I did too when I was 33. <laughs> My fire's kind of dim right now. I just have to stoke it up before I come. But I tell you what, I love David Bullock. He is a man of God. I'm telling you. And he, God has his hand on him. And I believe that the future of Luke 418 Fellowship is as bright as the promises of God. And I'm excited about being a part of it for at least till I'm 90. And, uh, and I don't know, just my health is able, I will be. But even as Pastor Emeritus or whatever, you know. And so, but David, we're, we're, we love you and we're so thankful for the way you study and pray and preach. And so uh, I know I took some of your time, so cut back a little bit. Let me, uh, why don't we just start in a word of prayer here. Lord, this is your church. You are the head of the church. And it was paid for by your precious blood. 
So Lord, this morning I pray that you remove me completely out of the way. Lord, that your, your breath is what goes forth in this place. Lord, that my preaching and teaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but on the demonstration of the power, so that our faith would rest on the power of God and you alone. Lord, we love you and praise you, for it's in your name. Amen. So, whew, um, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 today. Uh, I told you that I didn't have enough time to finish uh, on Wednesday night on Colossians chapter 2, verses 13, 14, and 15. So today we're going to talk about this. And I don't know about you, but if you come in this place today and you don't leave excited, then we need to pray for you. Um, this is one of those messages that I am like, I wish I, that the Lord would let me speak this every Sunday morning because I would leave out of here just ready to, to take on the world, like so excited, just ready to go. And uh, I pray that that's you today. If that's not you after this service, and, and I mean this in all seriousness, um, I, I would love to talk with you just about the understanding of salvation and Christ in us, the hope of glory, as we see in Colossians 1.27. But this message today gives us the understanding of victory. And who doesn't want victory in their life? Every single person wants that. But I will tell you that I also pray that this message today makes the demons in hell shudder. That's what the Word of God is so powerful, that this message today shows us who we are and that we have victory. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13, 14, and 15, let us read, it says this, When you, Paul's talking to the people of uh, Colossae, he's talking to the, to the, he's writing Colossians here, and he's also saying, he's also speaking about us, he's speaking to himself, he's saying, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of their flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now, I just got to stop for a second. I know Brother Fred has given us the understanding of what all means. The word all in the Greek means all. Great job. I'm so glad y'all have listened over time. So, what does this say? For those who have been struggling, I mean, let's just stop here for just a second and just look at this. It says, he has forgiven us, not part of our transgressions, not a little bit of our sin, not half of our sin, not 99% of our sin. He says, we have been forgiven all our transgressions. I mean, as a believer in Christ, that right there is victory. Like, it's all done. We are complete in him, as we have talked about on Wednesday nights. Verse 14, this is powerful stuff right here. Having canceled out the certificate of death, debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he, Jesus, has, has taken it out of the way, and then he said he nailed it to the cross. Verse 15, and man, this is where the demons in hell are probably going to shudder this morning. It says, when he had disarmed the rulers and authority, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now, I don't know about y'all, but you may want to memorize those three verses. Those are some powerful things when the fear and worry and all these things come over you that we can hold on to the breath of God. So let's look at this, and we're just going to look at these three scriptures. So I want to start with... Let's look at 
what was disarmed or what's going on here. As we see in verse 15, he disarmed the rule, rules and authorities, the rulers and authorities. But if you go back to verse 14, it says, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. So Satan was thrown down to earth. We see that in Isaiah 14, 12 through 17. And you'll see it up on the screen. It says this, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of dawn, of the dawn. You have been cut down, where? To the earth. You who have weakened the nations. Verse 13, it says this, But you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will ri- raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly. In the recesses of the north. Now I want to stop there for a second. I, I understand like what pride is, but like this is the ultimate pride to say, you know what, God, I'm going to rise above you. Like you spoke earth into creation, but I'm going to rise greater than you. Now in the book of Matthew, it says, He who uh, exalts himself will be humbled. And so we begin to see this right here. It says in verse 14, it says, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, and I will make myself like the Most High. I mean, that's even uncomfortable to read that, that that would even be spoken. Verse 15, Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not allow his prisoners to go home? We see in Isaiah that Satan, he begins to try to raise himself up higher than God, to make himself like the Most High God, and what happens? He's thrown down ultimately to earth. But then we see in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we see the fall of man. Now I want you to kind of really focus in on some words here. I know you've read it a hundred times, so I pray that you just really focus in and look at some of these words. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. He was very deceptive, deceiving, right? More crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said that you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Verse 2, it says, The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. I do want to stop there and just let you know that God told him not to eat of it. Here she is adding this part, like, I'm not even supposed to touch it either. Uh, Some people say that's the first sign of legalism in the scripture. Here, there's rules that she's creating even more that she's not supposed to do. In verse 4, it says this, The serpent said to the woman, the deception, he says, But you surely will not die. So he begins to deceive. What did God say? Hey, when you take of this fruit you will die now we understand looking at it hindsight we see that he's talking about a spiritual death and so here she is she's saying the servant's saying you won't die in verse 5 we see for God knows that in that day you eat from it your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil verse 6 when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was desirable to make one wise she took from its fruit and ate it and she gave also to her husband uh, to her husband with her, and he ate. Verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig trees together and made themselves loin coverings. 
we see here that Satan was thrown down in Isaiah. And then through being here on this earth, he deceives Adam and Eve. And we see the fall of man or the first sin uh, by, by man and woman here in Genesis chapter 3. But then through that, through that sin, he drew mankind into captivity. Satan draws mankind into captivity, subjecting them to his evil reign. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all had sinned. In Romans chapter 3, verses 23, it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What we see here is that we have a sin problem. We have a problem because of Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, Through that sin, we're now conceived into sin. This is why if somebody wants to argue you and say, Well, Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, we have a problem with that. Why? Because Jesus was not born of a man and woman that would have conceived him in sin. Jesus was 100% sinless, pure. And the only way that that could have taken place is for him to come forth from a virgin. We see in Romans chapter 5, and I just read that to you, that, that, um, all sin, that sin entered through one man. But then in Ephesians chapter 2, we see the captivity and Satan subjecting us to his reign. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. In verse 2, in which you formerly walked to the course of this world. Now, Paul is talking here to believers now uh, in Ephesus. He's saying, Hey, you formerly walked to, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So what I want you to see here is is that Satan was thrown down, he deceived Adam and Eve, and by deceiving them and sin entering to all man, he drew mankind into captivity, subjecting them to his evil reign. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 that I just read that we are workmen um, or, or that we are children of wrath, that by nature we're children of wrath. And so what we see here is that obviously we are dead, the scripture says. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So what takes place here is that Satan comes up and says, hey, I'm going to make a list of all the sins in your life, the decrees against you, the debts against you. And he makes that list over and over. And because of that list, we are in subject as non-believers under his reign. Why? Because in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says this, For the wages, what you earn from sin is what? Death. Right? So because of our sin, because of that list or that decree or the debts against us, because of that list, we are dead. And the only way for that to be satisfied was obviously, as many of you know, growing up in the Bible Belt, and I call Mobile the belt buckle of the Bible Belt, but because we grew up in Mobile, we know that the only way that that debt could be satisfied was through a sacrifice. It was through a sacrifice. And we also understand that that sacrifice had to be pure. 
had to be blameless without sin. So we see in Colossians chapter 13 that you were dead in your transgressions. What was the debt that was canceled out in verse 14? That debt was our sin nature. That debt was the list of sins. And let me just tell you something. I don't know about you. Yours may be a short little legal pad page, but mine's like, like a novel, right? All of us. Let's just be real. From the place of our birth all the way until however old you are today, we have a long laundry list that Satan can hold up and hold us under his reign because of the deception that took place in Genesis chapter 3. But praise God, there's victory in verse 14. It says in the, at the second part of verse 13, it says that he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our transgressions. So we see that first off, what's being disarmed here, what's being disarmed is the fact that Satan has us under his rule because of the decrees and the debt against us. But then we see that the decree is now placed on the cross, verse 14. The record of wrong that Satan accuses us is now nailed to the cross. Satan keeps us under his reign because it requires a sacrifice for it to be removed. But now in verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting decrees against us, he nailed it to the cross. So we see in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, we see but, uh, the second part of that is, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus nails the certificate to the cross. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, one of my favorite verses, it says, But he was pierced through our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The chastising of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we were healed. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it says this, How much more will the blood of Christ, um, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? When I was young, um, in high school, uh, I think I was 17, 16, 17 years old, uh, some of uh, my friends came over and we were just kind of, we, we had seen this done before, it wasn't our idea, and that was, was kind of writing down things that we were struggling with and we would put it on, we would go nail it to the cross, just like it says in verse 14, as just this visual image of placing that on the cross. That's what Jesus took on the cross to cancel out those decrees against us. And to my lack of forethought but yet the Lord kind of using it God works all things together and uh, here I am we're using red construction paper because I'm thinking okay the blood of Jesus you know I'm trying to be a little bit spiritual here and the so we're writing that on there and we literally we took a we took two pieces of wood made a cross and we nailed those to the cross and at my house I placed it on this balcony that I grew up on I had a balcony outside my door and I placed that cross out there well the the door to that balcony faced uh, the east. Well, the sun rises in the east, and so I never really thought much about it. I left it out there for like years to come, and I walked out there just a few day, a few years later, and I see this cross, and one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen in my life, that red construction paper because of the sun rising every day in the east, bearing down 
on that red construction paper, it had turned white. Now, I understand like why that happened because we, we see that, but let's just be honest. I mean, that's God showing me that it's by the Son, Jesus Christ, and through His blood that those debts that were placed on the cross, when the blood of the Lamb flowed down upon that, that decree, it goes to white as snow. It changes from, from that that would hold us under the reign of Satan and give us what Jesus said, if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. Now, what I'm concerned about is that some of us are holding on to that debt, is holding on to that decree against us, and we're trying to, to fix all these things. Well, this is heavy. I can't, you know, I, you know, I'm just struggling, David. Look at all these things. But Jesus says, no, I took that because you can't. You can try all day long. You can work at it all you want. But you'll never be able to accomplish, to fix all those things that have gone wrong in your life or all those sins in your life. He said, no, place it on the cross because that's where I took it. And because of the blood of the Lamb that's all-powerful, sinless, pure, flowed down over those decrees and guess what happened it was removed it was washed white as snow now i want you to understand though that that came at a high cost that came at a high cost in matthew chapter 26 verse 39 it says this and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face this is when he's in the garden of gethsemane the word gethsemane the garden of gethsemane is the olive press as he's being pressed knowing what's about to take place Jesus falls on his face and he prays, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You know what I love about that scripture? Is that Jesus himself says, Man, what I'm about to walk through is going to be painful. It's going to be hard. But I love David Bullock. And you can put your name in that place so much. And I'm going to honor my Father, not my will, but your will. Listen, if there's any other way, God, but listen, it's not my will, but your will. And he took. In the book of Hebrews, it says, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, not only did he take the cross, but it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of, of our faith, who for the joy set before him and endured the cross. Like, he didn't just say, okay, Lord, like, if there's any other way, but I, I'm, I'm going to go kind of kicking and screaming. I really, no, he said, for the joy, I'm going to go to the cross. Now, I just want to be honest with y'all, it was painful. Sometimes we look at a cross and it looks beautiful, and it is. Because when we look at the cross, we realize that it's through that and through the blood of the Lamb that we were made whole, that the debt was taken and removed from us. But let's just be real. The cross that was used in Jesus' day was not that smooth. It wasn't sanded down. No, this was two pieces of wood that would have been placed together to make a cross for Him. And every time He would have pushed up to breathe, a good chance there's splinters going into his back that was already beaten and bruised for us. You know, sometimes I think that even in my own life that I forget the cost that it took. 
I don't ever want to be part of a generation that just feels entitled like, oh, well, that's what God was supposed to do for me. No, I want to follow my face and say, Lord, how, how painful, how, how just difficult that was to walk that path, but yet you love me. I didn't deserve it. And I've shared this probably the last, it's been on my heart for the past three to four months. I've shared Romans chapter 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love for me, that though I was a sinner, he died for me. Let me just kind of explain that a little bit. God demonstrated his love for me that though I was not, not have wanted nothing to do with him, he died, but he didn't just die. He died on a sinner's death, as in like he died on the cross. He was not a sinner. He was pure, but yet he died a criminal's death. That would be the better way to say it. He died a criminal's death on the cross for you and I, even though we had nothing to do with him. It was painful. In Matthew 20, verse 28, it says this, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. I pray today that we realize the pain and what it took for our debts to be nailed to the cross. I think that in some sense that whenever I think about that, it makes me have even more of an appreciation whenever I walk through suffering and pain in my life. Because I begin to think, well, as Paul said, you know, that, that what Jesus went through was so much greater. And so here we are, we're saying, hey, you know, that, that the suffering, the pain, it doesn't even compare to what's going to be like when we see Jesus face to face. It gives me more of an appreciation and understanding saying, listen, if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate me and I'm going to go through suffering and pain. But let me just tell you, Jesus Christ went through it with joy. Why? Because he knew what was being taken place. And that was the debts and the decrees that were placed against us were nailed to the cross. So I want us to understand, number one, that we have decrees against us that Jesus is disarming. And number two, he disarms it through the cross. It's being nailed to the cross. But the third thing I want you to see today is this. Is that we're forgiven. We stand in victory. It's therefore destroyed the powers, the rulers and authorities can no longer accuse us. We are innocent in God's eyes. They are disarmed, so we are to stand in victory. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2 for me. In Ephesians chapter 2, we just read verses 1 through 3, and let's just kind of to recap that, let's read it again. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the spirit, and, uh, excuse me, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Remember, we were subject under his rule. Why? Because of the sin that we were born into. And verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Just like it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. He made us alive. Like, 
You once were dead and now you're alive. The greatest miracle that you could ever see is somebody being transformed from death to life. Somebody accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Jesus opening their eyes that they may see Him. And here it is. The greatest transformation, the greatest miracle is not somebody being healed from a disease. It's the fact that they once were dead, they've been transformed to be made alive. In verse 5 it says this, Even when you were dead in your transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6, And raised us up with Him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace. And the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself it is the gift of God. And in verse 9. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. I just, to me, I love just looking at that scripture. Here Jesus is saying, hey, you were under the reign, you were under the rule of, of Satan, but praise God that he was rich in mercy and that he went to the cross and he nailed the decrees against you. All those lists of things, all the sins in your past, all the sins in your present, all the sins in your future, nailed to the cross and the blood of the Lamb fl- flowed over each of those decrees and washed it white as snow, washed it white as snow, and you have been forgiven. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, and I want you to kind of see this in light of what we just read in Romans 5.12. In Romans 5.12, it says, in Romans 5.12, it says that it was therefore just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all had sinned. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, it says, For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. So here we have Adam, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, but yet Jesus said, hey, I've got a way. It's going to cost, God says it's going to cost my son his life, but through that we have been forgiven. Now I have to just speak this. You say, David, I don't understand what you're talking about. Listen, the scripture says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. In verse 10, it says this. It says, for with your heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with your mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. You say, David, I just don't understand. Listen, I just shared with you just a few minutes ago. In Genesis chapter 3, we have a sin problem that we are dead. But only God, Christ alone, paid the price on the cross that if you believe in Him as your Lord and Savior, then He takes that debt and through the blood of the Lamb, He washes it white as snow. And so I pray that today, if you don't know Christ, that you will come to a knowledge and understanding of Him and that you will lay all that debt down and say, by the blood of the Lamb, I am being washed white as snow. But let me just say this, I think it's very easy for us in the South to say, hey, I'm, I'm a believer in Christ. But I think it goes, I know it goes further than that. It's not just saying, hey, uh, I'm going to go to church and that, that I'm going to put my name on the list and I'm going to come on Easter and Sunday. I saw a church sign down the road that said we're also open in between, um, which is very true. But it's not just about attending church. It's not even just about saying, hey, I'm a Christian. No. Being a true bondservant of Christ or being a true born-again believer means that He is the Lord of your life. 
And let me just tell you something. He's he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. We have to give him our whole life. Lord, it's yours. That means everything. But can I tell you the beauty of that? Because a lot of times we say, man, that means I have to give him my future. Yeah? But he's got a great future for you. Better than you could ever imagine. More than you could ever conceive in your mind. I said Wednesday night, and I've shared it several times, that being a bondservant of Christ means that you come to the understanding and the realization that as a servant of the Most High God, that that your life, being as a slave or a servant to God, is greater than anything that you could ever do on your own. You could never produce a life like that. You say, well, I've seen Christians be martyred for the kingdom of God. I understand that, but when you look at it on a cultural level, that seems awful and bad. But when you look at it on a spiritual level, the seed, the blood of the martyr is the seed to revival. We get to the understanding when we say, hey, my life is for the kingdom of God, and hey, he's going to use it for his kingdom, and he's going to use me mightily. And we have to get to that place where we say, hey, uh, I'm going to give God my future. But the beautiful thing is, too often we selfishly focus on the things that we don't want to give up to God. Well, Lord, you know, I've, I've got a lot of things in life. I've done a lot. I've built a pretty good kingdom for myself. I've, I've worked hard. God, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, that's really hard for me to give you all of that. But the beauty is, is that he's not just asking for that, even though he is. He's asking for all of that, to use it for his kingdom. But the beauty is, is that he's also telling you, hey, give me your past. Give me your past. How often are we haunted by our past? How often are we so concerned about something that, we've, that, that in the past we did this or that? Or, or, or we've, listen, we are all sinners saved by grace. And he's saying, hey, give me that whole decree, the debt that is against you. It's been nailed to the cross. I want you to lay that down. I heard a pastor say one day, and I thought it was profound. I, I pray that I can speak it the way that he did. He said that when we get focused on our past and we don't give it over to God, we're ultimately not trusting that he's all-powerful to take that from us. That we're ultimately saying, well, I understand the blood of the Lamb, but I've still got to work on this and that. No, God's saying, hey, that it is done. It's over. Is there consequences that you may be dealing with? Absolutely. But the guilt, the shame, all of that that, has, that that took us and put us under the reign of the evil one is now done. It's over. It's been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And so let me just tell you this morning, your past is under the blood. Your future is under the blood. It's His. And so that's the thing is, is that it's not just, you know, you hear people say, well, well, God only wants the good things. No, he wants every bit of who you are. He wants you to sacrifice your whole life for the kingdom of God. You know, just after this scripture in verse 16 and on, and we preached on this this past Wednesday night, it talks about legalism, and it talks about like being uh, basically uh, under fear that you're not doing enough and all these different things. You know, it's so interesting to me that legalism will always ask for more. You're not doing enough, a little bit more. But Jesus says, give me your life and let me be Lord of all. And at that point, it's done. (laughs) He doesn't say, well, give me a little more. We'll work a little harder. No, he says, not only am I telling you it's done, but I'm going to, the Holy Spirit's going to dwell in you and the Holy Spirit's going to live 
the Christ life through you. I'm not going to make you sit there and, and try to do it in your own flesh. He says, no, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to work through you. So we see that we're forgiven. But then I love this, and it says, we've got to stand and fight from a place of power and victory. In verse 15, it says this, When he had disarmed the rulers and authority, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, through Jesus. So we see that what has been disarmed is that debt that was against us. We see that, they, that Satan no longer can hold that debt against us. But let me just tell you something. He still tries. Oh, he still tries. How many times have we felt unworthy? And guess what? We are. But by the blood of the Lamb, we're worthy because of Jesus. And that's the perspective that we have to get to. When the evil one comes and says, oh, well, well, you're not good enough and you're not worthy and all this. Hey, in my flesh, you're absolutely right. I'm not. I'm a sinner. But praise God, I have been saved by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, I'm a child of the living God and I'm going to stand. Amen. If you were here two Wednesday nights ago, I taught on the fact of our identity in Christ. And if we don't know our identity and who we are in Him, how are we ever going to stand? We have to stand in a place of victory. I told you that Satan will continue to accuse us. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 19 through 11. It says this, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. So if anybody's wondering who he's talking about here, there it is. Who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in the heavens saying, Now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of God and the authorities of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. It says, and they overcame him. And check this out. What is everything we've just been talking about? How do we, when Satan takes... And I don't know, this is from earlier, I'm just going to hold it up as an example. So how do we, when he says, oh, David Bullock, here it is, all your debts. God, I'm showing you everything that David has ever done in his life. From the very first moment I breathed my, my first breath on June 19, 1984. I'm holding it up, God, here it is. This is David. And you know what, we start to hear that. David, you're not worthy. Let me show you all these things. You're not good enough. You haven't done it. Oh, but it says in verse 11, they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. Remember, this has been nailed to the cross, and now it is white as snow. Now it's gone. It's been held up by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb washes over this. And so how do we defeat the accuser of the brethren who comes in day and night and says, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you can't do it. We say, hey, by the blood of the Lamb, everything that you are accusing me of has been washed white as snow. But then it also says this. It says that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. So what's the word of our testimony? 
That's the salvation. As Christ entered our life, when we believed in Christ as our Lord and Savior, as Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, if you're sitting here today and you say, David, I don't know Christ as my Lord and Savior, then when the accuser of the brethren comes to you every day, you're under his reign and his authority. Why? Because you haven't accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb that washes it white as snow. There must be that testimony. The acceptance of Christ as their Lord and Savior. Oh, but I love this. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Let's just run through these few things here for a minute. Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also took part, also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, and that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Listen, it says right there in the book of Hebrews that through the death of Christ on the cross, through the blood of the Lamb, that Satan has been disarmed. He's been disarmed. But so often we give him access in our lives. The scripture says don't give Satan a foothold. He puts these false lies into our minds and we believe them. That's what the culture does. Oh, just do this and you'll find pleasure and happiness. Oh, just do this and, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll have excitement and, and you'll gain something. You'll, you'll gain a name for yourself if you just do these things and the culture will lie to them. You know what Satan's doing? He's going all the way back to what he did in Genesis chapter 3. The exact same thing. Listen, he's been disarmed. He's been disarmed. But yet he comes in and he says, oh, but God didn't really say that. Do you really mean that, that a loving God would make you go through what you're walking through? Do you mean that a loving God would allow this to happen to you in your life? Or you to, to, well, maybe he's not so loving. And he starts to speak exactly what he did in Genesis 3. Though he's been disarmed, he speaks false lies into our life. And here's the problem. So often... We find ourselves believing those lies. Here's Jesus on the cross. He took the debts against us. He freed us from his reign. He disarmed the enemy and he speaks life into us. But it's very easy in our flesh to listen to the false lie of the enemy and follow through it. He'll tell us that, 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 that God can't be there for us or we'll put fear. What if? Have you ever had what if in your mind? Have you ever noticed the what ifs never happen? I have tried so hard to get rid of if out of my vocabulary. It is difficult. It is really difficult. But he'll put the what ifs in your mind and in your heart and, and all of a sudden fear will start to overwhelm you. And I've been told that fear is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real is what, what fear is. But here's the voice of God saying, hey, I've disarmed him. Are you going to trust me and walk with me? He's been disarmed. He has no authority. Ephesians chapter 1 says all authority is under the foot of Jesus. So are you going to believe the voice of truth? Or are you going to believe the voice of, of, of Satan, the father of all lies, coming from under the foot of Jesus ultimately? Which are we going to believe? And let's just be honest, too often we find ourselves believing that because it almost seems easier to believe the lie than it does to believe the truth. 
Because it's easier sometimes we feel like in this culture to walk that way than to stand for what we're supposed to stand for. So we've got to believe the truth. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, we see, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against what? The schemes of the devil. If we're not putting on this, then our eyes will not be focused on the one who's disarmed the enemy, and yet we will listen and believe the schemes of the evil one. You know, it's so beautiful, and whenever you read Ephesians 6 in light of Colossians chapter 2, we realize that when he says this in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and then let me just kind of add Colossians 2 in here, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Colossians 2, he's disarmed them, the rulers and the powers and the world forces, against the spiritual forces and wickedness in the heavenly places. We've got to stand in a place of strength and victory, knowing that everything that's coming after us, we've already won because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. We have to learn and understand that we must stand in a place of strength and victory, or else we will always be defeated. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37 and 38, many of us have the verse 37 memorized. It says, but in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. But then it says, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, which is what we've been talking about, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. In verse 39, it says, nor height, nor depth nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. Why are we more than conquerors in Christ Jesus? Because Jesus disarmed the evil one, and then the next verse down says, is that Jesus will never let you go, nothing can take you away from him. And so we must stand in a place of victory saying, hey, listen, Nothing can take us away from the one who's disarmed at all. Not only that, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, hey, the one who's disarmed at all, the one who paid the price, the one who took on uh, your debt on the cross, and the blood of the Lamb flowed over that and washed it white as snow. I love you so much, it says in Colossians 1, 27, that I'm going to come and dwell inside of you. That's some pretty powerful stuff. So we have to understand that we've been washed white as snow. There is a debt, a decree against us, but praise God, he nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the evil one, and now we must stand in a place of victory and not cowered over and say, I can't do it. You can't do it, but Christ through you. One other verse I want to look at on this is Matthew 16, 18-19. And church, I want to kind of end with this in this understanding of Colossians chapter 2, 13 through 15. It says this, Jesus is talking to Peter and they're at Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi was a very pagan area. For those who are going to Israel with us in six weeks, we're going to be in Caesarea Philippi. We'll see it. They worship the pan god there. There were several things that they worship. They talked about the gates of hell being there, the entrance to hell. And so here in this very pagan area, he walks up to Peter and he says this, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades, will not overpower it. And so what I want you to understand in that verse is this, 
The church is not this building. No. We're the church. They can't kick church out of the, out of the schools. Why? Because we go into the schools. The only way you can stop Christ out of the schools is to get rid of all Christians in the schools. That wouldn't be discriminant at all. We're the church. And Jesus says in Caesarea Philippi, in one of the most pagan areas, he said, on this rock, and I understand many people say that it's, it's about Peter and all that, but I want you to understand the, the, the area and the, 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 the circumstances built around this, is that he's saying, hey, in the midst of a pagan generation and a pagan culture, I'm going to build my church. And all the paganness of this world will not overthrow my church. Oh, and it gets better than that. It actually says the gates of hell will not prevail. Well, what's the gates of hell? Does that mean we're going down to Hades? Does that mean we're going down to like busting the door of hell? That's the last place I want to go is down into hell. What he's talking about is the culture. What he's talking about is the area, the location, all these false gods. Their gates will not prevail against the living God. It won't do it. But church, knowing that we've been bought by the blood of the Lamb, knowing that we're no longer under the reign of the evil one, knowing that, that, that we've been washed white as snow, and knowing that we live in a place of victory, and that the evil one, the paganness of this world, has been disarmed, now we must live on the offense. You know, the culture wants to say this is the church. The culture says... You know, the church is at 2664 Solly Road. That's where the church is. When we pass by the church building, we usually say, hey, there's the church. Isn't that what we do? Let's just be, let's just be honest. But really, the church is passing by the building when you're driving by the building because you're the church. But you know why the culture wants this to be the church? It's because there's walls around it. And the culture wants the church to stay right here. The culture doesn't want the church outside the walls because once that happens, there's a promise in the, in the word that says the gates of hell, this pagan culture cannot stand against the power of the living God. Listen, this is a church house. And right now, the church is here. We're here. We're the church. And let me just tell you something. Because... Satan has been disarmed. And because we live in a place of victory, and because we are sinners saved by grace, we're not any better. It's just that we have the blood of the Lamb upon us. And because of that, God has called us to go knock down the gates of hell in this community and let the presence of the living God overflow this city. That's what He's called us to do. Gates weren't there for them to be on the offense. Gates are built for them to be on the defense, to hold you back from coming forth. And so we must be in a place of victory, that we stand firm, Ephesians 6, that we stand against the accusations of the evil one by knowing that we are under the blood of the Lamb and by knowing the word of our testimony. And we must know that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus because nothing can take us away from Him and we must live on the offense. I'm going to say this and I'm going to be done today. We have to get past. And when I say we, I'm saying the church corporately in a whole. From 
the whole world. We have to get past just doing church in the church building. And we've got to say, you know what? I'm walking in a place of victory. I've given God my future, my whole life. And when somebody accuses me of, you know, I've done this or I've done that or you've done this or you've done that, you say, you know what? I am just a sinner saved by grace, by the blood of the Lamb. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And we've got to go. And we've got to speak the truth. Because we stand in a place of power, in a place of victory. And we must not be silent. So the last little things I want you to know as we close is this. Yes, there was a debt against us. Absolutely. Against me, against you. But praise God, we've been forgiven. It's been nailed to the cross. Praise God, by the blood of the Lamb, it has turned white as snow. But we must also stand in victory, not believing the lies of the evil one. Trusting in the truth, the voice of truth. And we must live our life on the offense. So as we close, let me read to you these three verses. And then we're going to pray. When you were dead in your transgressions, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Jesus. Let's pray.